welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, uh, Yuri. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm, I know it's been a little bit of um, a back and forth with us, but I'm so excited to have you on. You are a highly you know, uh, prolific writer, and I'm very excited to hear about your what you've been up to and what you're working on and, and kind of your, your process. But first, uh, for the listeners who, not, who are not as familiar with your work as I am, uh, please tell me about yourself. Yeah, I've been writing um, books about uh, personal development already for 10 years. Uh, my name is John Vespasian. Uh, most of my readers are in, uh, in the U.S., also in the U.K., uh, Australia, and a bit uh, spread all over the world. And I write about um, history uh, from the perspective of uh, personal development, personal finance, uh, marketing. So what I do is I go through literally hundreds of uh, biographies, hundreds of uh, historical events, and I try to draw uh, practical lessons that uh, we can use uh, today in the 21st century, lessons in, um, in the field of uh, practical psychology, uh, practical philosophy, marketing, uh, personal finance. So this is what I do, and this is a, a very weird uh, approach uh, to history, <laughs> and a very weird approach uh, to personal development, but um, when I started to write uh, 10 years ago, um, I thought uh, I could not find the kind of books I wanted to read, which are very practical, very factual. So I started to write one, and I, I, I sort of enjoyed the process very much. So I've, I've done 10 already, and I hope to be uh, doing about one per year. That's wonderful. So if you could, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Before you started writing your books, what first made you want as I, I know you mentioned that you you know couldn't find the books you were hoping to do but what got you into writing and and what's your your background that um, made you want to combine historical you know instances with um, psychology yeah my, my background uh, in this context is uh, is I was a reader for uh, decades and uh, I acquired uh, skills in, in different areas commercial skills uh, legal skills, language skills uh, through the years, uh, through a commercial career. And then uh, at a certain point, I said, okay, maybe I can write a book. And the way I did it was also quite uh, unusual uh, because I just blocked uh, four weeks uh, during the summer holiday and said, okay, I'm going to uh, to write a book. I spent like 10 hours a day writing the book. And in the end, I did it. That was my first book. But it took me six months uh, to edit uh, the manuscript because uh, writing the first draft is one thing, but actually to get the final product you can actually uh, sell is another thing. But then I've been improving the process uh, little by little through the years. So after 10 years now, I'm much faster and I think much more accurate in the process. But still, um, people should be realistic. It takes substantial work uh, to write uh, a book 
that is well documented, that is factual, that is well researched. Um, for me, it's not something you can do in a few hours. Right. So let's talk about the let's talk about your first book then, and the and the process. So what made you? So your first book, uh, when everything fails, try this in 2009. What made you want to first off write that book initially and you mentioned before having to go through this editing process, but let's just go from the beginning of like, you had the idea, how long did it take you to write the first one? Were you speaking with traditional publishers or how did that work? The, the, the way I, I did it uh, was basically to minimize research. And this is something that um, is a strategy I adopted through the years uh, because if you try to write about uh, subjects um, uh, you ignore, or you know very little. I mean, you might be uh, curious about something, but uh, to get to the level we can actually write confidently about it uh, takes a lot of work. So um, from the very beginning, I decided to write about things I'm very familiar with. And the first book, uh, the, the one you mentioned, um, uh, when everything fails, uh, try this. Mm-hmm. At that moment, uh, one of my friends uh, died of cancer. And I was very, um, very um, uh, familiar with cancer uh, research uh, and therapies and, and uh, all kind of um, things that go with it. With it. And um, I wrote a book in a context of um, uh, territorial context I know, uh, hospitals I know, people I know, uh, therapists I know, mm-hmm. uh, trying to show in the in the in the novel uh, what are the most promising uh, therapies at the moment. And this is how the book came about. But when I started to write, I already knew the subject very well because otherwise I could have spent uh, years on research. Yeah. Even the streets and the um, the corners I mentioned in the book, uh, I've been there already many times. So uh, this is for me the way to work relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is super inefficient. Sure. How do you handle writer's block or do you get writer's block? No, I, I get zero writer's block because I work uh, backwards. Um, when I think when most people um, get the idea to write a book, uh, they get develop a concept and then they try to put uh, the ideas together and they do research mm-hmm. and then they actually write the book. I work backwards because what I do is I'm taking notes uh, constantly mm-hmm. uh, for material I read, books, magazines, blog, articles, whatever. And taking notes constantly. So I have sufficient materials for, I don't know, a dozen books in the future. Uh, so when I want to write the next one, I just uh, look at my files and the idea comes from the files. So I, I, I first I do the research and then I get the idea. So for me, it's very easy to write. It's just uh, taking the time uh, to put it down on the page and to edit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a still a very um, uh, difficult process. Sure. Would you tell me more about your your filing system and your sorting system? So I, I've heard of other writers like Robert Greene who they use like this note card idea where like what you're doing, they collect ideas and quotes and things and like store them on these note cards. How do you store your your research and when do you know, okay, I have enough research, now I'm going to write a book about it? Uh, I'm very systematic uh, the way I do that. Uh, so when I read, I mean, I read all kind of stuff all the time. I listen to podcasts, so I, I do all kind of um, uh, research spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And when I find something interesting, I just write it down. I have like uh, a blog, so a, a paper, uh, note paper. So I just write it down. I, I number one, two, three, four, five. I number the ideas. 
And once a year, which is usually when I finish uh, the book I'm writing, so once a year I just type it into um, I have sort of a database. So I, I typed all the uh, new ideas mm-hmm. by subjects, so they are already organized. So when I want to uh, to do my next book, uh, actually I have planned like the the next two or three books are already planned. So I just go back to the notes that are already organized. I don't think you can actually do anything with uh, with notes that are chaotic. So I try to be super uh, precise and super organized. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So of the books that you've written so far, what has been your favorite one, if you can, if you have a favorite one, uh, or which yeah, one has I've, been I've, the favorite to write? Yeah, I have uh, my favorite one and the yeah. one that sells uh, best, mm-hmm. and they are not the same. So <laughs> okay. So and I understand why, but okay. My favorite uh, book from all the ones written is called uh, The Ten Principles of Rational Living. Mm-hmm. It's a very philosophical book. Uh, it's about history, uh, going through biographies of different people, and trying to extract um, the principles to live a very effective life in all areas. Mm-hmm. So it took me a lot of work to put this book together. I think it's very uh, original in the uh, approach. But for some reason, and I know why, uh, the book that sells uh, best uh, is, is about stress. I wrote a book about stress redaction. Uh, five years ago, the book is called uh, Consistency, uh, the key uh, to, long st- to long-term stress reduction, consistency. Yeah. And this book uh, obviously addresses a very common problem. It has also a very original approach because it's based on history, and it got very good reviews. So this is the book that is selling best. Yeah, excellent. So, okay, let's talk about your stress book then. So what uh, what are some key takeaways in the book about you know, everybody deals with some kind of stress in their life. What are some key ways to reduce stress? Well, one of the key ways is um, um, not to fall um, for too much intake in terms of uh, of uh, news. Okay. Um, because people tend to become super anxious and super stressed uh, by reading the news in the morning or listening to the radio or, or listening to, um, to uh, inputs of some kind that are very negative, very pessimistic, and this tends to drive anxiety uh, to extremely high levels. Just to give you an idea, only in the U.S. you have uh, 50 million people uh, mm-hmm. taking medication against stress. It's a very serious problem. It's really a very heavy uh, medical problem. Yeah. And, and what I've done in the book is to go uh, in history and to show different strategies, how people reduce financial stress, uh, for instance, through diversification of assets, how people reduce also the uh, dependency on one particular job by expanding their skills in different areas. So what I've done is to, to present uh, practical strategies mm-hmm. uh, how to reduce your stress in the long term. Okay, excellent. So let's talk about your new book uh, or newest book that came out in January, Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. Uh, I know that's something that we I've personally faced in my life where I'm just going along smoothly and then everything kind of gets upended. Um, but you bring up like Albert Schweitzer, a few other people, uh, the Knights Templar. What um, what what was the the idea behind this book, and and what are some key takeaways that you want the the readers to know about? Yeah, the idea um, for the book, I got it while I was reading a biography. Mm-hmm. I was reading the biography of uh, Saba Montov. Uh, he used to be. Uh, a very well-known industrialist in the 19th century in Russia. He was building a uh, 
uh, became very wealthy. He was a celebrity in his country. Uh, he was the, the Russian equivalent of uh, Andrew Carnegie okay. building railroads. And um, when he was in his 40s, mid 40s, uh, he completely collapsed. He lost everything. Uh, he started uh, to invest in other areas he knew little about. He uh, started um, steel manufacturing. And within a few years, uh, he was prosecuted uh, for investment because he was trying to cover the losses in uh, steel manufacturing from the money from the railroad. The shareholders got very angry. Uh, they tried him for investment. Eventually, he didn't go to jail, mm -hmm. but uh, they took everything away from him, and he spent the last uh, 15 years of his life in total misery. And I found this story very intriguing because Mamontov was super clever. I mean, he was a very sophisticated uh, businessman. And the question is, how is it possible that such a clever person, such an uh, experienced uh, businessman, uh, can lose everything in such a stupid way? Mm -hmm. And I went through the story, and then I started to look into history, and uh, I found a pattern. And the, one of the main ideas of the book is that um, when people go through disruptions and they come uh, uh, victorious and they, they really do very well, it is because they rely on their strengths systematically. Mm -hmm. They do not improvise. And when they get into a situation like Mamontov, where they start to do something they know very little about, they start to improvise, uh, the result is almost always a catastrophe. Mm, interesting. So with this, um, do they, so the, the people that you've studied, do they already know their strengths going into it? Or is it one of those things where when you hit disruption, suddenly your strength emerges? Uh, I would say that 99% of the people in the stories don't, do not know their strength. Okay. Um, they, uh, they act uh, instinctively because, okay, they get uh, problems, they start to, to make mistake after mistake, and eventually they figure out what to do. But it's very interesting because even people who discover, let me just give you a little story. Sure. One of the, um, the uh, stories in the book is about Kowalewski. Kowalewski was a paleontologist in the, in the 19th century, and he was the first person in history who actually um, came up with the with explanation how uh, little horses in uh, prehistory, and we are talking about horses of the size of a cat, how they became uh, the uh, horses we, uh, we see today, are very, very large animals, very strong, very fast. And until the 19th century, uh, everybody thought that uh, there were different species, that uh, there was no connection because the difference in size was just too big. And the skeleton was also a bit different. And Kowalewski, for the first time, actually he was a lawyer and then he became uh, a scientist, Kowalewski came up with the idea that uh, the small horses became very big and very fast thanks to disruptions, because when they um, ran out of food, they used to live in the woods in North America, and the trees started to grow due to climate change. They have to go out uh, to get food in the prairie, and then they have to face uh, big predators, of, uh, cats, so they have to run. So through the generations, they became a little, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and after thousands of years... Uh, they they became what we know today, and the the, uh, the strategy that Kowalewski uh, discovered is that uh, animals uh, fundamental also human beings uh, creatures we fundamentally don't change. If we uh, become successful when we face uh, disruptions, is because like the horses, we rely on um, skills, on strengths, on assets that we already have. If you start to improvise, if you see a species in uh, evolution that uh, starts to do something that is completely different from what they were doing before, usually the, uh, the species will disappear. 
It's only when they rely on their strengths that um, that uh, they actually grow uh, stronger. Yeah. So what's interesting is there's a lot of um, you know talk about this in the business world where there's and again the the term disruption is used a lot in the tech world where there's now faster, more agile companies coming up who are trying to disrupt what large corporations are doing, and that. And only for a corporation to survive or, or the established companies is to disrupt themselves in a way. Is there – have you come across a way for people to, in in a similar way, disrupt themselves without having to go through like a complete collapse? Yes, um, and you mentioned just um, a minute ago Albert Schweitzer. And this is one of the best examples I found uh, in history because Schweitzer made um, a career transition that was very radical. Uh, he used to be a professor of uh, theology in Strasbourg in France, and he became a missionary in Africa. And you cannot imagine a, a bigger change in his life. I mean, the guy had to quit his job. He was making a very good, uh, er, earning a very good uh, living, and everybody told him he was crazy. And then he, um, he had the risk of uh, losing everything. And the way he did it um, addresses the question because he did it in a very clever way. He, uh, he quit his job, he went to Africa, he uh, became a physician just to be able to work in Africa. But um, when he went to Africa, he took with him an upright uh, piano. Uh, why? Because uh, Schweitzer uh, used to play um, organ in the cathedral every Sunday. He was a very good uh, performer. And he did, um, uh, he followed the strategy that said, look, if I lose everything, if the if the adventure in Africa uh, becomes a disaster, and very very often he was close to uh, to disaster, he could uh, always go back to Europe and play music. And he thought, uh, if I lose everything, I can still keep my musical skills. So he bought this uh, secondhand piano, uh, took it to, with him to Africa. He was playing in Africa in uh, in West Africa every day for an hour. And you can imagine how to, what a surrealistic uh, picture he would cut in Africa playing piano, but he did it for years, for the rest of his life. And when he ran out of money, which happened very often, he would go back to Europe and play music in, um, in cathedrals and raise money for his hospital. So this is, this is the perfect strategy uh, for people and for companies to evolve. You have to keep always a backup uh, plan, a backup um, uh, uh, scheme, that uh, we, will pull you through the bad times. And this is what Schweitzer did very, very cleverly. And I found the story super interesting. I put it in the book uh, because it shows you the perfect strategy uh, mm-hmm. to minimize disruptions. Yeah, that's, that's great. So in your, in your own life, in your own work and career, what would you say has been the best advice or the best strategy that you've ever uh, had? Yeah, the best strategy is uh, to try to do things in uh, little pieces. And this goes, uh, one, one of my hobbies, uh, well, hobbies, career uh, skills is uh, to learn languages. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this already for decades. But you have to do it uh, little by little. You cannot just go and say, okay, I'm going to learn, uh, I don't know, Russian or French in, uh, in a week. It's very unrealistic and people become discouraged. And this is why so uh, relatively few people uh, speak uh, second or third languages uh, fluently because they give up. They, they become very discouraged. So it is the same when you write books or when you try to, um, to pursue any complex uh, goal. You have to break it down into pieces and you have to do every day 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can, mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, it will eventually pile up into uh, an achievement. And this is for most people, it's, it's not easy uh, to accept that uh, you have to work at these big things little by little. Yeah, no, that's great. And and so with your, you know, in your life, and your work, because um, again, you're a very prolific writer, how do you approach those times when you're fearful? And maybe it's a new subject or even the first time you wrote a book. How do you look at fear in general and how do you push past it? Um, I follow always the same methodology. That I, I discuss this methodology in the book about stress. Uh, I try to focus on objective steps. Instead of uh, becoming very emotional and uh, say, okay, I, I'm really stressed, I'm very anxious, I try to make uh, a very uh, simple plan of steps I have to follow. If I, for instance, I mean, for instance, I imagine, okay, I want to write the next book or I want to embark on a very uh, difficult uh, career steps. I would just break it down into little pieces and I would do the piece every day regardless, regardless of the environment, regardless of uh, my emotions or feelings. I just follow the plan. And I know that this works. Uh, I've been doing this for, for decades. Um, you have to leave uh, these uh, wild emotions aside because otherwise if you only work uh, when you feel uh, like it, uh, you're going to be very ineffective. Okay, great. John, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning. I, I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to, first off, buy your books, read more of your writing, see what you're up to, where are the best places they can go to do that? I'm super easy to find. If you just type uh, John Vespasian on Google, uh, you will find my blog. Uh, there are hundreds of articles there. Uh, there is a free newsletter, and of course the books are easily available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Very, very easy to find. Just type uh, John Vespasian on Google. Absolutely, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much. I will um, I'll make sure I put links in the show notes so that listeners can click right through and, and find your books and find your blog. Many thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.